Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, welcome back to Brain Guru Studios. It's just gone midday here, Sydney time, which means it is time once again for the call. We are gonna go through 10 stocks in an hour and we have two expert guests to help us do exactly that. So joining me on the panel today, I've got Gary Glover from Novus Capital here in studio. G'day, Gary. Hi, Andrew, how are you going? I hear you had a birthday recently. I did, I did, the big one. 32? <laughs> Not quite, okay, I won't get it out of you. And we've got Howard Coleman who wishes he was as old as Gary. How are you, Howard? Uh, I'm fine, thanks. In fact, Andrew, I'd be quite happy to be as old as you too. Either of you too. <laughs> it's all relative. Hey, gents, Just, it's all, always great to have you both on the show. Um, we're going to do things a little bit differently, though, today. Before we get to our 10 stocks, we're going to talk about, instead of a stock of the day, we're going to go for an asset of the day. And we felt as though we have to talk here about Bitcoin. This is uh, something that's just been a cultural phenomenon. And back to share or units in Bitcoin up about fivefold over the last year. In the news in the recent uh, 24-48 hour period, for all the wrong reasons, are really having a very solid pullback. So we thought we have to talk about this. And uh, I'm suspecting it's going to be a bit of a controversial call. But let's see how we go. Gary, I'm going to start with you. Cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, what do you make of it all? Yeah, so my presumption, uh, when it sort of first had its first big bubble, went to 20,000 there, I just figured this is just another another tulip mania, another, another bubble there. And I actually... Uh, had a look at the chart because I've looked at a lot of charts and stuff there and actually ended up shorting uh, Bitcoin. I think I shorted around 10,000, covered it at 6,000. So made a little bit of money, a couple of grand, but only because I really wanted to you know, tell my kids in the future, hey, I, uh, yeah, I shorted this bubble, you know, with, you know, I didn't even uh, know you could short Bitcoin. Yep, you can uh, You can basically uh, short it in increments, so half or quarters or, yeah. Okay. So f- for those that are afraid to buy it or short, short it, yeah. you can buy it in increments rather than a, a forty thousand dollar lot, which went to what forty two thousand there just recently. Well, good so, thing you closed out that short yeah. position because it would have been very, very yeah. painful. But it does actually. The, the strange thing here, look, I'm I'm still not convinced on the asset. So, um, so I get uh, some of the, some of the yeah, I get the tech. I'm just not sure. I mean, I think the value of Bitcoin is uh, it's got quite a substantial value there, considering it's you know not really you know used on a great level there you know yeah so um but i have i have noticed here actually that it does really run some really nice timing cycles so okay. for those of people look at sort of gan timing stuff there so you can actually see that um the actual high there the forty two thousand dollar high came in on um january the 9th mm-hmm. and if someone wants to go back and look at all the last swing lows there you'll find that actually if you go back say 90 days to around the october 7th or even september 9 was actually the low that there's a really nice GAN cycles that run through that instrument. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just find it interesting actually that that, that that actually sort of coincides to that. But from what I've seen technically here, it's gone into like a vertical trend, like a blow off move, which uh-huh. means normally when they end, 
they end with a bit of a bang and they normally come back to where the last acceleration point started and that's sort of we're looking back to around seventeen and a half thousand. So if so I was a bit more downside on yeah. technical. So, I'd, so if I was sort of looking at buying Bitcoin, which I'm not personally, I wouldn't recommend it to clients to do. But the chart tells me that it could come all the way back to seventeen and a half. So I, I definitely would not be buying that asset here at the moment. Now, so now, Howard, yeah. I know you very well. I'm I if I was a betting man, I would bet very large sums of money that you're going to be a little bit bearish on Bitcoin. Am I right? Yes, uh, you're absolutely spot on, Andrew. There are two kinds of bubbles that one tends to get uh, in the world over time. The one is the completely illogical bubble like the dot-com boom where companies that made no money had share prices that kept going up because lots of eyeballs was watching them. And then the slightly more logical bubbles where there's a limited supply. Bitcoin's one of those limited supply bubbles. In other words, there can only be so many Bitcoins created, and hence as demand goes up, the value of the Bitcoin will go up, as opposed to paper money, which they can print more of any time they like. Hmm. Now, that type of bubble is reminiscent of the oil bubble. Uh, I think it was 2005, where there were the predictions that oil was going to hit $500 a, a barrel because there was a limited amount available. The gold boom of 1980, which I remember very well living in South Africa at the time, where gold got to almost $1,000 an ounce and was definitely going to hit $2,000 by Christmas, all the, uh, everybody said, and $5,000 by the end of the following year. And of course, it goes back to the tulip bubble because um, there is a limited amount of land to grow tulips on, the South Sea bubble for similar reasons, and the Mississippi bubble uh, for the same reason. But if we go all the way back, the one probably the most similar to Bitcoin is there was a shortage of silver at one stage in ancient Greek and Sparta times. And everybody therefore bid up the price in terms of uh, how many goods you could buy for silver. And Dionysius, uh, if I get the story correctly, demanded that all the citizens in his city bring in all the silver which they all did. It was on pain of death if you didn't. You had to bring in all your silver. And he cut all the silver pieces in half and gave everybody back half the amount of silver um, and hence changed the value. So, um, you know, I, I'm definitely not a fan. Um, you know, if you want to trade it, as Gary's done, uh, it's like any trading. Um, you know, you could you win some, you lose some. I always say trading reminds me a bit of before a cricket test, debating uh, on the likelihood of the coin coming up heads or tails when they have the toss. <laughs> and as a captain of a cricket team, you'd be far wiser think, spending your time thinking about whether you want to bat or bowl than thinking about which way around the coin was going to come up. I guess there's, there's a couple of different dimensions we could look at here. There is the transactional value of it. There is the store of value aspect of it. But there's also the technology aspect to it as well. Very early days and the potential for this is, uh, at least according to a lot of very smart people, seems to be quite big. What do you say there, Howard, in regard to some very, very smart people who've put a lot of money into this? Have they just completely got it wrong? Is, there, is this something that's worth zero or is it more just a, a concern over the current valuation? You know, land in the Mississippi area didn't go down to zero value and most other things don't go to zero but they go down to some sort of logical value. And um, 
you know, uh, is Bitcoin going to take off as a currency? Well, if it's going to take off as a currency, it's got to have a value that's a lot more fixed. Um, you can't have something which has a, 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 is useful as a currency and has a constantly changing value. That defeats the whole object of something that has the a, a, a value of a currency. So, um, look, I'm not a fan, but if people out there want to um, bet their money on Bitcoin, uh, some of them will win, some of them will lose. Good luck to the winners. I feel sorry for the losers. But usually when the bubble has reached the point that the price is so high, they're going to be a hell of a lot more losers than winners. So um, at this point in time, it's probably not very smart to be doing the betting. Okay, fair enough. I, guess, I think if we're a betting man there, we'd probably say there's a 95% chance that this is another one of the spectacular bubbles of all time. So your, you know, the odds of success are a stack against you. Right. Um, so I think there's already only maybe a five percent chance that maybe this ends up being, you know, uh, what people think it will be. So, um, but I'm with I'm with Howard here. I think it's you know I I'm, I looked at it from a shorting point of view. I just wanted to to say that I was short that bubble because okay. it was in my lifetime. So uh, okay. yeah. Well, for all the bulls out there, I did try my best to bring a little bit of balance. And if we had more time, we could really get into the weeds here. But unfortunately, we don't. Let's talk something uh, a bit more traditional here, Gary. I'll start with you. The first stock uh, that we're going to talk about was sent in by Jackie. The code is COH, which, of course, is Cochlear, a real Australian success story, Gary. Although it, uh, it has had its, uh, its troubles in the past. What do you make of it today? Yeah, it's on a real tear on the, in the wrong direction at the moment. The, there's real momentum um, to the downside here. And uh, so I was having a look there. Um, like obviously, the last full year, sales revenue was down 6%. Uh, net profit off quite a bit further, obviously, um, with some of the you know, small write-downs there. Divs are suspended, no guidance on profit as well. Um, so there was a bit of a, uh, I think there was a litigation expense there, which took the head off the yeah. uh, most of profit there. But yeah, I looked at the broker calls. Broker calls are sort of 225 to 241. So everyone's sitting quite a bit higher here. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's um, There just seems to be some headwinds there at, at the moment. Um, obviously, Talker is you know, some slowing down in, um, in getting the fittings there. But I saw Cochlear talking that they've, they've mentioned that um, that you know that they think that oh, there's already been a shift in the right direction there in terms of um, you know um, get, getting the devices um, implanted there. So mm. they're seeing an improvement there, and, and I was uh, talking it positive there, but can't can't deny the, the price action at the moment is really on a tear at the moment. So I was just I, I was trying to look at uh, technically sort of how low it might be able to come, and I noticed it got down to what 155 somewhat previously. Mm. So. There's a little bit of speed in this move at the moment, so it's just telling me to sort of sit back here. Um, maybe you can come back and retest that 155 low, which it's had a couple of goes at in the past. So um, great company, just just at the moment, there's some definitely some negativity, some momentum on the downside here. Okay, great company, but perhaps not the right tone to buy. Howard, I believe we've got you back, is that right? I hope so. Can you hear me now? Again, I can hear you perfectly. Now, we're, we're talking cochlear, and I remember sure. many years ago when we worked together, there was a wonderful opportunity with that product recall. Um, absolutely bad news, but nothing that really dented them longer term. Is this a similar opportunity, or is, this, or is it different this time? I think to some extent it's a similar opportunity, Andrew, with a little bit of difference. 
Um, yes, we had a marvellous opportunity to buy cochlea then when they had a recall. I think it got down to about $48. Mm. So you could buy it at $48 when it had previously been about 80 And, of course, your $48 is now 200 and something, and you've had very nice dividends along the way if you bought then. Um, that's similar in terms of the big uh, uh, payment they had to make in the legal dispute um, on uh, breaking somebody else's patent as it was ruled against them. But the one other difference and the one reason why the share price has dropped recently is 90% of their sales are offshore. The Australian dollar has risen and most of their sales are priced in US dollars. The US dollar has in fact dropped more than the Australian dollar has risen in relative terms. So um, what that has meant is that when translated back into Australian currency, um, the earnings are worth a little bit less, but currencies go up and down. And while considering the events in the US, um, it's quite possible uh, America's uh, economy and uh, political system are in dire shape and could the US dollar could drop further. Uh, in the long term, one doesn't want to bet against that and one wouldn't like to bet on the direction of the currency. So I'm a very happy cochlear owner. But uh, it, it's certainly not cheap at the moment. It's on a PE ratio of over 50. And most of the time, right through history, you've been able to buy cochlea a lot cheaper than that. So even at the current share price, I wouldn't call it cheap, but it's not particularly expensive either. So it, it's a company I'm very happy to hold, but I'd want the share price dropping lower than this before I would add further to my holdings. Okay, fair enough. Howard, I'm going to stick with you and we're going to stay in the medical device space. Jake's written in about uh, a company called Medical Developments, nowhere near the size, of course, of Cochlea. Um, and the earnings history not also as good as, as Cochlea here. But is there, some, is there some potential with this company, do you think? Well, um, I think there are two point things to look at here. When you look at its history over the last few years, it's barely make a, made a profit. Its return on equity has been around one and a bit percent on average over the last three years. Now, that's not something that you would want to invest in. You'd put a big cross next to it and walk away if you're a Team Invest member. However, the positive side of it is they have a new chairman, a new chief executive, both of which are ex-CSL and both of whom did very good uh, and were very successful executives within CSL. Uh, the chairman had retired. The person who's come in as CEO had had a very successful career uh, in Sequiris and CSL. So on the basis that it's management that drives the results of companies, this is a company worth looking at. So I would think Team Invest members would now put this on their potential, let's see how they do with new management uh, watch list. But I, I wouldn't expect anybody would be thinking of buying into a company with one and a half percent sorry uh, return on equity. Now, um, particularly when you consider that their products are phenomenal. So a well-run business with these sort of products, um, you would expect would be doing a lot better than they've been doing. Mm, uh, some good points there from Howard, Gary. 
I haven't, I'm not overly familiar with the company, but uh, to play devil's advocate, potentially here that, that return on equity, that earnings growth hasn't been there because there's been a lot of money invested in new product development, expansion, sales, all that kind of stuff. Is that the case here or is it just not gaining traction with the existing uh, products? That- yeah, I think it is the case here. I mean, there's, I think it's called uh, Penthrox, is, uh, which is their pain medicine. That's the, that's the, the leading product for them. Um, is that the green whistle? Uh, Am I getting mixed up, aren't I? It's a bit like that, So, yeah. but it's, um, it's actually used in a lot more in actually veterinary products. Oh, right. Yes, so, yes. Uh, so that's a big part of the market as well. So, so they have been getting a lot more approvals in different regions around the world for the Penthrox products. So it's actually, um, the product itself is, you know, has had a, a reasonable sort of um, demand there. I just noticed that sales have been a little bit subdued in Australia, so, but that might be sort of COVID related as well. But there's definitely a bit of a rollout there uh, with the Pentrox of actually sort of, um, you know, just getting getting more approvals. So it's mm. it's hard one. It does. There's a lot of money in the biotech there. Yeah, it can take sometimes ten years to, uh, you know, to get everything to market, get it all approved, and then then you get your commercial window to make large profits at the time. So yep. so it'd be definitely one worth looking there. So I think how's um, is, is you correct there. Members are probably looking at it because they sort of think okay. Well, because it is often a very quite profitable once they sort of start to hit commercial sales. Um, mm. But it'd be worth just sort of watching to see whether they get any um, they get traction there. So yeah. they've you know it was getting a little bit of traction there previously, but I just sort of read there. I think the last update on the 14th of December was saying that the uh, sales were a little subdued in Australia, which was sort mm. of a little strange considering this is the, the leading product. Should be pretty robust there. The yeah. veterinary market is pretty strong in Australia. We got a lot of uh, dogs, cats who, who uh, um, everyone would be willing to spend a lot of money to make sure they're okay. So um, you'd think it should be pretty robust. So just a little small red flag there. So, mm-hmm. um, but probably just one to sort of watch a bit closely. So here. not yet, Jake, but uh, yeah. both uh, experts saying that it's definitely something to keep on your radar. Yeah. Uh, Gary, I'm going to stay with you. Now, this is a fascinating company, a Collection House. Actually had a really good history there for a little while. And then along came 2020. And this company spent most of last year, in fact, in suspension. They had to recapitalize. They got new management in. Uh, it looks to me like just a, a massive uh, credit crunch within the business there. Can you shed some light on what's gone on and perhaps say whether now is an opportune time to buy? Yes, I think also um, there was a little bit of, over, I mean, with, when you buy these um, you know, debt books, you've got to get them back over a certain time. And then so the, the, the value you pay for them, you've got to recruit your money within a five, six window, five or six year window. Yeah. I think a lot of these companies, and the same thing happened to Pioneer, yep. is they were still carrying these assets at a, at a reasonable value, even though the five or six years or sometimes maybe seven years have passed. So um, got in a bit of trouble, both those firms, both suspended there. So um, I find it really interesting actually that Credit Corp, is that they've actually sold one of their um, key assets out of here to Credit Corp. So one of their biggest competitors has not only has given them some money for their asset, which seems fair enough, but also give them a loan as well, yeah. uh, which is kind of strange. But and Credit Corp has done spectacularly well. Credit Corp's done very, very well. Yeah. The thing I think about here is, is, it, a a, chart. <laughs> is, is it a little bit of uh, art of war in mm. that, you know, you sort of keep your enemies sort of closer. If you've obviously you don't want to be seen to be having a monopoly in the Aussie market in that credit space, which at the moment Credit Corp pretty much do. Um, but yeah, Collection House, you've got to worry about the long term uh, sustainability here so um, having to sell to probably come of the some of the best assets in there um, 
competitor giving a bit of a loan as well. Maybe they're eyeing off the carcass here, so to speak. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I just find it strange. We've got one of your biggest, biggest competitors is sort of throwing your lifeline. Um, what does that say about the, the industry and the business? They're not obviously too worried about collection house. So mm. just see it's too much risk for me. I, I actually think you should have a look at Credit Clear CCR, oh, yeah. which is a new IPO, new, new listing. And they're a little bit more sort of tech. They sort of come in as a bit of a disruptor in that um, credit recovery space. So mm. they're, they're sort of coming from the angle of applying a bit more technology towards chasing debts, which is a little bit more innovative. Mm. Um, so I'd have a look at that rather than... So I mean, Credit Corp's the number one. That's probably a little getting up there. It's had a pretty good run, so it's probably fully priced here. Yeah. But uh, Credit Clear, CCR, is probably one worth having a look at that sector. Okay. So what do you reckon, Howard? I know you've had some experience in the credit space. It is an area that is difficult, but when you do it right, it can be extremely profitable. Um, is this a case of, I, I'd imagine, given what's happened here, that you'd, you'd like a little bit more water under the bridge before you dip to toe in the water, but just generally as an industry, these, these uh, purchase debt ledgers, is this an interesting area or is it, is it just a no-go for you? No, most definitely it can be a very interesting area, and I, in fact, I own Credit Corp um, in my own portfolio. Uh, but uh, a couple of things, you've got to be very good at two specific things if you want to play in this industry. Number one, you've got to be extremely good at pricing the debts that you buy. Because after all, the people selling the debts are usually banks or credit card companies. They're not fools. Mm. So they're going to try and sell it for as much money as they can possibly sell this uh, distressed debt ledger for. So you've got to be really, really good at pricing it which means you need a huge database of how people in the past have paid and particularly that you can run this particular debt ledger against your database and see how many of the same people come up and were they good payers in the past or weren't they. Mm. Now Collection House grew its debtors book by paying more money than Credit Corp was prepared to pay for the same debt ledgers. Now that was a big red flag to start with. If you are buying up all the debt ledgers and you're paying more than the people who are the biggest experts in the field, then the chances are you're overpaying. Mm. The second thing you've got to be good at is collecting the debts. Now, that's the easier one of the two because debt collection um, done properly is just a question of lots of people on the telephones working hard and well-trained to do it in a nice, positive way. Mm. Um, the hard part of the business is pricing what you're buying. Now, when you've got a, a company that's distressed, it's been in suspension from the stock market for, for many, many months, and it really looks like it's not going to survive, and its competitor comes along and buys its major asset, you'd have to say that that was an, uh, a, a non-equal um, negotiation. Credit Corp were in the pound seats, Collection House were in distress and desperate. So I'm pretty sure that Credit Corp got a wonderful bargain um, in saving Collection House. Mm -hmm. So if you save your competitor and you do it Buffett style, where you put together a deal, which is what they did do, where Credit Corp's going to make lots of money out of it, and in the process Collection House survives, well, fine, and that's what Credit Corp has done. I wouldn't touch Collection House. They haven't demonstrated a an ability to know what to pay for debtors' ledgers. I'm a very happy owner of Credit Corp. 
Um, so a definite no from me on Collection House. Okay, that one was sent in by Rippon, so hopefully that has given you a bit more insight there. We better speed things up a little bit here, gents, just to make sure we stay uh, on track. Gary, uh, Leone has written in about Cromwell Property Group. The ticker here is CMW. Uh, I noticed one of the things that stood out for me here was that these guys have uh, paid a very reliable dividend, seven to eight cents per share, although it's had absolutely no growth in the last 10 years. But if you can be confident of that continuing, you've got an 8.8% odd yield. Is that enough to tip you over the line here or am I missing something? No, no, look, the stock's had a great history actually. So it's been around for um, you know, almost 20 years. I think the long-term, you know, the long-term return's been pretty uh, pretty decent for a property trust, probably been up, probably been one of the best performing longer term. But uh, two things here, a couple of red flags here is that uh, Paul Waitman, who was the CEO for 22 years, has just sort of stood down. Mm-hmm. And there was a little red flag. Uh, they had to some media speculation about whether they were trading, uh, or whether there was, you know, solvent essentially. So the share prices had a pretty decent fall, 135 down to 70, so half there. I know they sort of come out and said, hey, look, we're, we're well capitalised here, debt sort of around 40%, um, still some pretty good assets there, but never like to see a company or, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a shareholder there, getting questioned whether you've actually, whether solvency is an issue or not, that's got to be a, just a red flag, the, the fact that it's even been brought up here. So mm. just the fact that the CEO sort of uh, has, has decided to move on. Yep. And um, yeah, so they've got like a lot of European and Polish properties as well okay. on the register. So that's obviously, there's a f- some issues over there. Mm. Uh, some question marks about property in general. So mm. I know there's a bit of a diversif- diversification within their basket there, but just a couple of red flags. They're just telling me to be sit back here. So um, yeah, not for me personally. Yep. Not yeah. for you. Just quickly, Howard, is, is this one that ticks any boxes for you? No, return on equity, like most property companies, it's too low to pass out filters. It's been averaging probably about 6% a year for the last four years. Uh, and it's been paying out more than 100% of its earnings in dividends for the last three years. Now, that's not sustainable long term. So the dividend is likely to be reduced over time anyway from the wonderful yield that it's on today, which is why probably the share price has dropped. So no, no from me. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Usually when you see a yield like that, particularly in this current interest rate environment, if it looks too good to be true, not always, but often it's probably too good to be true. Remember, for those playing along at home, those yields are calculated on what the company or trust uh, or you know, paid last year, not what it might pay in the future. And of course, there's no guarantee. Howard, I'm going to stick with you. Uh, let's talk about Bingo. Uh, this is the uh, waste collection company, only listed in 2017 and really has not done much in that time. In fact, earnings, I think, really declining for the most part. Is that an avoid on that basis? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's return on equity is low. Uh, its earnings are hardly rising, rising a little bit, but not much. Um, debts, Okay, um, it's got a beautiful name, either Bingo um, or Bingo. Either mm-hmm. way around sounds terrific. Mm. Um, but no, uh, and it's on a PE ratio of 34. Yeah. Now, for a company that's hardly growing its earnings uh, and has got a relatively low return on equity of about six, six and a half percent, and too rich for us. So a pass from, uh, you know, I mean, team invest members wouldn't wouldn't really look at it other than to say what a great name. 
Yeah, that's true. You got to give them points for something. And uh, what do you reckon, Gary? Uh, Kevin's written in about this one. Is it something that passes? Yeah, I mean, I was probably slightly more favourable there. I know that because um, I mean the revenue line has been pretty positive. Mm. Um, so particularly in nineteen twenty year as well. So up up quite substantially. But the yeah the PE is pretty pretty pricey there. I, I think it's actually in a bit of a sweet spot here because that waste area because um, it was obviously locked down there. The, the the industry which is busy is tradies and, and construction. So that's um, been, been, been pretty robust. So I think this is probably trading well on the back of that uh, robust sort of construction and housing sort of market here so far. So, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's pretty pricey here, so pr- pretty expensive. So look, I know that um, this business has been on the improve here. I think I was, you know, there's a five-year growth plan, which they've sort of what year three of that at the moment. So it's it's mm. it's been heading in the right direction here. The business has definitely improved there, but yeah, the, the multiple's just a bit a uh, bit high here. So and yeah. and you're possibly trading in a sweet spot too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you never really like to be sort of buying things maybe at top of cycles. So uh, so not yeah. only is the PE high, but the PE is high on an earnings multi- uh, earnings level that might yeah. be a little bit. Well, you've just got a solid cycle here as well at the mm-hmm. moment. So whereas you know. Is a housing trading cycle going to be, you know, is it going to run, stay hot for for too much longer? So m- maybe it stays hot for a little bit longer, but market will always look ahead. So yeah. I'll, I'll see some cooling off later on. So it strikes uh, me also as a very capital intensive industry too. And just um, observationally, you notice, or anecdotally, you notice that there are these bins that you see, these collections. You see them everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. It seems like a highly fragmented industry. Perhaps consolidation is part of, of their game there. I'm not sure about it. But uh, it also seems that the only real competitive advantage you sort of get in this space is potentially one of scale. But outside of that, it's not hard to sort of get in and fight for a bit of market share here. So um, I don't know. It, 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 does, it does strike me as a, as a tough area and one that as you rightly point out you're paying up for at this point. I think that I mean their revenue line was up 20 percent from 1920 so it's that's pretty decent growth. Yeah but but those margins must be falling though for the earnings not to be doing the same so I wonder yes maybe an investment angle here. Yeah. Howard? And and their revenue their revenue may have grown but it's uh, uh, the earnings per share didn't grow because they also issued more shares. So earnings per share, in fact, were slightly lower in 2020 than in 2019, and that's what really matters. Mm. It's not the earnings; it's the earnings per share it that really that counts. Consolidation angle. Uh, well, listen, we won't go further down the rabbit hole there. Time does not permit, but uh, we are at the halfway mark, so let's do a bit of a recap. We started with our uh, well, it wasn't a stock of the day; it was a topic of the day, and uh, Bitcoin uh, was it was two thumbs down. Gary, uh, I think Howard would, would stay away at, at any price, but for Gary, on the technicals alone, he thinks it could get down to about 17, 17 and a half or so, Gary. So if uh, if you're watching for a level, perhaps that is one to watch. Then we moved on to Cochlear. A lot of nice things to say from the two gentlemen here, but it is a little bit pricey. P of 50 here, some Aussie dollar headwinds. So two thumbs down there. We moved on to medical developments. Uh, uh, on the numbers, not too impressive, although Howard mentioned that we've got some new uh, leadership in place here from CSL, which is a very high pedigree. So, uh, and Gary agreeing that this is one to watch, but neither of the gents would be buying at this point in time. We then moved to Collection House, a fascinating area here. And if anyone uh, wants to really test, uh, test themselves on the accounting side of things, this is the kind of business to look at. But it looks as though they are in a very difficult spot. It seems Credit Corp has really been the winner in this space. And uh, although Collection House lived to fight another day, 
probably have only done so by the good grace of one of their major competitors who have perhaps got the better end of that deal. We then moved on to Cromwell Property Group, uh, a very juicy dividend yield being quoted of 8.8%. Neither of the experts believed that that was potential, well, well uh, highly likely uh, going forward. So that was an avoid. And we finished uh, the five as we started with another double thumbs down, Bingo Industries, a uh, business that has managed to, being, to grow its top line, but on a per share basis, things look a little bit different. And for a business whose earnings haven't really been doing much, you are really paying up for this at this point in time. So what does all of that mean? Well, it actually doesn't mean too much in terms of the portfolio we run here at The Call. For those that are new to the show, we do run our own portfolio. It's sponsored by NABTRADE. We've been doing it since the new financial year. Whenever our two experts give a double thumbs up, uh, we buy it at the end of the day and anything other than that, we will sell. So let's have a quick look at how things have performed. Uh, as you can see, not a lot over the past week or month, but uh, financial year to date, we've really hovered around this mark for a while now, about 24% up, which is, let's be honest, absolutely market thumping. Uh, how has things changed? Well, things aren't going to change today so far based on what the, uh, the experts have said. But recently we have added Nick Scarley, that went in just last week, A2 Milk, Illumina, Viva Energy and CSL. Uh, and we've had a couple stocks removed just yesterday. In fact, Ava Risk Group was uh, kicked out. Uh, we also had Navigator Global Investments and Woodside getting the flick there as well. If you'd like to see or keep up to date with all of those changes, we've got a website exactly for that, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio, and you'll see all the movements there. And as I'm fond of saying, I think it's a great idea generator. So if you're looking to sort of filter out those 2000 odd companies on the ASX, this is some rich hunting ground to, uh, to spend some time to go through the numbers. Okay, let's get into the second half of the show. Some more interesting stocks to get through. Howard, I'm going to start with you first here. Pinnacle Investments, Timothy's written in. This is formerly uh, the Wilson uh, Investing Group. Is it one that, uh, that is of interest to you? Well, um, the, the beauty of these sort of companies is they're not capital intensive. So uh, it doesn't cost a lot of money to get going once you've got going and you've got all your licenses. So that's usually very good because it means you can get extremely high return on equity, which means every dollars of sh dollar of shareholders' money can generate lots of profits. Um, their return on equity hasn't been all that exciting for a fund manager, around about 17.2% the last couple of years. Now, that would be wonderful for a manufacturer, but it's not wonderful for a fund manager. Earnings have been growing, as we'd expect with markets rising. In fact, earnings have been growing pretty rapidly which is very good. And of course, as we'd expect from a fund manager, no real debt. Um, the only debt in their balance sheet is their premises, which is now being counted as debt. Um, when you look at its PE ratio, though, it's on a PE ratio of about 39, which actually makes it a bit higher than Magellan. Now, uh, of the two, you'd probably think historically that Magellan would do a lot better. But the, the Wilson group of got a huge amount of extra publicity about, um, you know, uh, franking credits mm. and so on. That may help Pinnacle. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it passes all our filters in Team Invest. It looks pretty good. So I suppose I have to give it a thumbs up, although I personally wouldn't buy it simply because I'm not a big fan of buying into fund managers. Um, I, I manage my funds. I don't invest in fund managers, my funds in fund managers. 
and hence I don't generally buy fund management businesses, but um, this one certainly passes our filters and I'm sure there are a few team invest members who own it, so um, a yes from me other than share price at the moment high. If you do want to buy it, I'd wait until the market gets a bit of a clobbering one week and you could buy it then probably a bit cheaper. Gary, what do you think? Howard makes some good points here. I guess a lot of the experts we have on the show, they are experts in stocks. So they they tend to manage their own money. So we we often get that kind of answer. But for other people, is it something that you would consider? And if so, is Pinnacle one to back? Yeah, you're still uh, in portfolios. You might have things like Magellan or you might actually even have, um, you know, LICs or, um, yeah. So looking at every investment on its own merit end of the day. So... I tend to agree with Howard here. The, uh, the big issue there is not so much the vehicle for me, it's the PE of, you know, I'm saying 36 here, but mm-hmm. 36, 39 is still still very high here for, for a company that's uh, growing its FUM by about 8.4% last year. Um, I think the full year net profit was only up about 5, just over 5% there. So it's going okay without going awesome. Mm. Um, but the valuation is, is telling you this is a, is an incredibly awesome business where I'm not so so sure it is. Yeah. So the multiple is 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 really high there, and I think look they they flag some uh, performance fees. Obviously, the equity markets have had a pretty good year here. Yeah. So that means they uh, um, they get some more get more fees come through the door. Um, but would appear to me that the I looked at all the broker recommendations. They're all sitting low there. I think Macquarie's just upgraded there last week up mm-hmm. to 796 which is pretty close to where it might have just tagged mm-hmm. last week but everyone out all the valuations are much or quite a bit lower so mm-hmm. um regardless of whether these performance fees come in um would just appear to me to me to be trading on a really really high multiple so i, I think it's actually probably a short here and, and a high multiple uh, as you say in a very favorable condition i think one of the things that you have to think about with these kinds of businesses is that they are very cyclical by nature. Yeah. Um, and they, they tend to get a double whammy when markets go down. Yeah. Markets go down, their funds under management yeah. go down, um, which hurts. But you also see the usual reaction, which a lot of people pull their money in panic, which, which further exacerbates that. So you're yeah. getting a, a lower base fee on your funds under management and your performance fee disappears as yeah. well. Um, although having said all of that, I think these are super interesting businesses when things are bombed out. The big, um, the big caveat here being provided you have a lot of confidence in their investment skills and the fund manager themselves. Yeah, that's right. So if you buy something like an Argo or Milton, you're probably going to map, you know, map the performance of the market. When you buy some of these fund managers there who are, who are leveraged, as you say, then you get the double whammy on the down and you get the double whammy on the up. So yeah. if you can time it right, as you say, that's that's going to be the sweet spot. So yeah. Nice counter-cyclic I play. think you're actually, this is the this is the counter-sweet spot right here. Mm. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay, Howard, uh, let's kick things along here. 15 or 20 minutes or so left on show. Eagers Automotive. Now, this has been sent in by Fiona. This is a business that uh, I, I know when I first looked at it, I just expected not to like this kind of business. Um, and again, you talk about uh, cyclical kind of businesses, I guess selling cars is, is very much that. But it has a wonderful, wonderful long-term history. I mean, in the last 10 years, shares have gone up six-fold and that has been underpinned by a very solid improvement in earnings. Um, but there are some things to be aware of. Is there any comments you'd add to that? Yeah, I, I think this business has done incredibly well. It's also now bought out its major competitor. But in the process of buying out the major competitor, it's increased the number of shares on issue by about a third, um, Mm. which is 
not too bad considering the buying the major competitor should grow their earnings even after that earnings per share but also they've taken on a lot of debt and because debt uh, or leases are now counted in debt as well with the effect of counting leases because uh, they own some of the properties and lease some of the others they've actually got a debt payback period of 33 years worth of profits now that makes for a very, very high debt level. So on that basis, I think any Team Invest members would look at it and shudder um, because the car industry is undergoing some major changes worldwide. And as we move more to transport as a service, perhaps, instead of everybody owning their own cars, which may well be where the world is going, I'm not saying it definitely is, but it's certainly a risk that that could happen in the future. Um, I don't know that that's great on a 33-year debt payback period. If it was a three-year debt payback period, I'd say no problem at all. So um, uh, it's a no from me on AP Eagers, but only from the point of view of debt. Now, the one way around it is they could do another big capital raising and get rid of a lot of that debt, but then that dilutes their earnings per share as well. So a no from me, but it looks like a very well-run business other than the debt. I haven't looked for a while, Howard, but um, uh, devil's advocate here, I remember with a lot of these businesses, they have what, what you call floor plan finance. In other words, it's basically an inventory type of finance, which the debt, there is a lot of debt, but it's held only against the, the vehicles that are on the lot. And if those vehicles aren't sold, you simply return it and that debt is extinguished. I'm not sure of the exact nature of it with AP Eagers, but is that, is that something that might cause you to sort of overlook um, the debt consideration? Yeah, I'd need to look at it in more detail, and you're right. And the, the debt to equity, which uh, prior to the leases being counted as debt, uh, was around 100%. It's now 347 So some of that could be caused by more floor plan by having bought their competitor, and some of that's caused by leases. So I think it would need a fair amount of time spent on their accounts to be comfortable with this. But my instincts are, you know, I only want 20 companies or so, maybe 25 in my portfolio. And if I've got to put that much effort into looking at a company uh, more than I already have done in companies I know already, the chances are um, my view and Team Invest members would be uh, probably too much work for not a lot of upside, but possibly for people who know this company really well, they may be able to sort out all that debt and work out whether they're comfortable with it. It's a, it's a very Buffett-esque uh, answer. As, as Buffett says, you don't get uh, extra points for degree of difficulty, which I think is just a, a wonderful uh, point. Gary, what do you think about uh, Eagers Automotive? I'm so glad that you guys have the same issues that I had, okay. actually in the valuation and had a look going. Because obviously we've got the AHG merger in there, so the business is almost, almost doubled, yeah. taken on to more debt, um, issued more shares. Um, We've got now different headline numbers sort of trying to work out, you know, what where the company is sort of sitting. So it is a bit difficult to actually get your head around um, the total business there now just because of the size of the um, of the merger. And the broker valuations are just as compelling as well. They're like everything from $13 to 17 So some really varying opinions on the valuation for this stock at the moment. So um, look, the one thing I just, I, you know, the, the, the fundamentals are making it pretty hard to actually look at this coming. As, as I say, there's a lot of debt there, which makes it a bit tricky. Um, the technicals are actually a little bit less. Um, you know, 
they're basically shown this great recovery from you know what 250 all the way up to 1450 here so the share price mm -hmm. has had an amazing run but i i don't like sort of seeing stocks go back and retest their high go to a new high and then fail that's quite bearish for me just from a technical point of view so um some of the best sellers i've seen do exactly that mm. so just tells me a little bit bit of cautious here just obviously this share price has had a fantastic run companies had a pretty good run as well um so i'd just be to me it's telling me to be you know it looks like a bit of a sell here but look I, this, no, it's, I it's a complicated business so yeah. you know i'm almost had a little bit here i think it's sort of too hard I'd, I'd like to sort of see this trade a bit longer here so i can kind of make sense of the new combined entity mm -hmm. and see where it all sits. Yeah. Okay, so Fiona, hopefully that's helped you there. Gary, I'm going to stay with you. Speaking of charts, this is a shocker of a chart. This one is for Isentia Group. Alicia's sent that in. ISD is the code. Wow, what a what a case study in um, a disaster. This is this is things have not gone well for Isentia, but there will be some that argue that everything has a price. I do know that shares are up strongly today. Uh, does that give you any impetus to buy, Gary? See, sometimes you get good stories and you get uh, you get good headlines or good, um, you know, sexy sort of topics, you know, sort of like, you know, media, intelligence, analytics, algorithms, all these exciting things. Oh, they, they must know what they're doing, how much money there. And then they come up and say, oh, look, as a result of a cybersecurity incident, uh, incident, we've lost seven to eight million dollars. What? Oof. Yeah, so... Well, that was just the latest of a string of yeah, bad news. Yeah, so, today, I mean, I, to me, I very that's quite a suspicious sort of... Uh, type of announcement that I'd be worried about there. So $27 million market cap, 200 million shares on that. issue. Mm. Uh, this company's got so many red flags at the moment there, I wouldn't go near it with a barge pole. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, what's interesting with that is that, you know, something that's gone down 96% over five years, uh, it, it doesn't mean that it can't go down another 96%, yeah. such is the nature yeah. of percentage changes and what baseline you're measuring lose, it from. How do you lose between 7 and $8 million overnight on a cyber security hack? Yeah, yeah. Does that sound, I mean, does that sound... That, that sounds like made up to me. It's it's. Is it an excuse or is it a, is that reality or I, is that, I don't, uh, it's whatever? One thing we can yeah. agree on it's 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 not good news. No. Um, Howard, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with anything there. I totally agree. Um, last two years, it's made a loss. The latest is they guiding for a loss again. Um, uh, you know, uh, why would you, you forget about the stock market for a moment? If I approached people out there and said. I've got a private business. It's making a loss every year. It's losing money. Things have got worse and worse and worse over time. Would you like to buy part of the business from me? I'm sure they'd run a mile. <laughs> it seems to be that because something's listed on the stock market, people are prepared to ignore losses and say, maybe it'll be okay. Maybe even if I land up paying for something that loses money, somebody else will come along and pay even more for the thing that loses money from me afterwards. And it beggars belief in an understanding of businesses. So to me, it's a definite no-no to buy any company that's making losses on a regular basis because the company really is worth nothing. It's only people out there who seem to have attributed a value to a loss-making enterprise, which is nonsensical. Well, there you go, Alicia. It's pretty definitive comments from the experts there. Let's move on to something that does have uh, some earnings and actually some pretty decent earnings growth. Howard, I'll stick with you here. Premium is the stock in question. PPS is the code and John is the uh, questioner here. What should John do? Yeah, again, a type of fund manager in that it's a sort of a wrap program for funds and um, runs a number of funds as well. 
Um, it's done actually really well over the last few years. Um, it didn't look very good up until then. Up until, uh, I'll just go back a bit, up until 2015, it looked pretty sick. It was losing money most years, but I think it's now built up enough funds under management or uh, under advice that it's, for the last four years, had a return on equity of about 16 to 20% and rising. So the return on equity is on its way up. Earnings per share have been growing pretty nicely over the last few years, and it's got, as one would expect from a company like this, which isn't capital intensive, it's got no debt, or virtually no debt. Um, the only disadvantage with it, if, if one wants to buy it, is it's on a PE of 42, which is, even with interest rates now being next to zero uh, on a term deposit, if you ask yourself, would I take money out of a term deposit and put it in this company at a PE ratio of 42, the chances are you'd probably say no, whereas if it was to put it in this company on a PE ratio that was maybe 25 or 30, you may well say yes. So to me, its only problem is that its PE is somewhat high, um, but the business looks terrific. Um, it's growing its earnings. Um, in fact, over the last year, they've grown quite rapidly. Uh, sales are rising. Mm -hmm. And of course, these companies tend to have a lot of re leverage because the cost of running a fund doesn't double when you have double the amount of funds in the fund. It only goes up a teeny weeny fraction. So you get a huge amount of leverage, the advantage of any business that isn't capitally intensive. So it looks very good, passes our filters, just too expensive at the moment. Okay, we'll put a no on that basis. Uh, Gary, we're running very low on time here, but Garrett makes a really good point here in terms of price. Another way of thinking about the PE, of course, is to invert it and call it the earnings yield, which is what people do. So a PE of 42, that's an earnings yield of what, two, two and a half percent or so. In other words, that's that's the uh, the yield on holding this asset that you would get. Would you agree with Howard that that makes it less exciting? Yeah, I mean, it's also, look, it's a portfolio administration service. So just, uh, so look, it has improved. So I've used a product before. Oh yeah. So um, the offering has improved. So they've really sort of um, improved the offering. But um, you know, there's quite a few different uh, products in the market, so you know, quite a reasonably competitive space. It's a little bit uh, follows the market as well, so it's a pretty buoyant market currently. So, mm -hmm. seen some bit of growth there. Just, I agree with how the, the PE is very high here. So, um, the good news is the company's on the on the way forward here, but it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's not growing fast enough for that multiple, uh, in okay. my opinion. So. And it's also a bit, you know, market orientated. So if you think market's a little expensive here, and maybe that the bull cycle's probably coming to an end, then uh, you'd be a, bit, be a bit cautious about coming in here. Okay, last uh, but not least, and uh, I, I will have to ask us, ask you guys for fairly brief answers here. Fluence Corporation, Cameron's written in, I admit I've had a bit of a flirtation with this 2018, 2019. Uh, they make these modular uh, filtration units for water, Pretty kind of sexy stuff, but uh, they haven't done that well of late. Is it something that you'd buy, Gary? No, no. So it's risky. Look, it looks like they've um, reduced the the loss. So obviously, it's been losing a lot of money for uh, quite a few years. Yeah. So that was part of my thesis was they were going to pass that break even. Point. Yeah. So, so yeah. I think they just got to break even there on their um, uh, Ivory Coast sort of transaction yeah. there. So yeah. they've won a couple of deals here. One of the deals is break even, so it looks like it's on the mend, improvement there, mm -hmm. but 
nothing to be too excited about yet. You'll definitely want to see a bit more uh, history of uh, winning a few more contracts and making some more money first. Yeah, that, that was my conclusion as well. Howard, what do you think about Fluence? Yeah, losing money every year. Great story, wonderful products, not a business. So, you know, you don't want to buy stories. You want to buy businesses, and businesses, by definition, are meant to make profits. So, uh, no, a, a definite no from me, but it sounds great. And the fact that it's doing water treatment, I commend them, and I hope they uh, one day do succeed, but I wouldn't put my money in it. Yep, fair enough. So there you go, Cameron, a, a double no there. In fact, I can say now that we are at this point of the show that it has been thumbs down across the board. The closest we got was with Pinnacle Investments, Howard giving probably fair to say a reluctant tick there uh, in the sense that it passed Team Invest filters, but uh, uh, brightly pointing out that you've got to be fussy when it comes to your portfolio and, and he's not a holder himself. So, but let's do, let's do a, a more detailed run through. So as I say, for Pinnacle, it was a yes for Howard, a no for Gary. Two thumbs down for Eagers Automotive. Uh, that big acquisition has left them with a lot more shares and a lot more debt uh, and also uh, other concerns there. So that's a no. Accenture Group are just a, an absolute disaster uh, there and, and just bleeding cash at this point. Things are deteriorating further. A big loss from a cyber attack. It's just bad news after bad news. It might turn around, but uh, these gents are not going to bet their money on it at least. Uh, Premium is a business that is a business and is far more uh, exciting doing really well. The negative here from both Gary and Howard was one of price, PE of about 42, so just not enough growth in uh, their eyes to, to justify that. And Fluence Corporation, that was two thumbs down as well. Interesting space, interesting technology. Sales are doing okay, but there's no profit coming through at the bottom line. So that is it for this latest episode of The Call. We've really enjoyed having your company. Gary Glover from Novus Capital, always good to see you. Thanks, Andrew. And Howard Coleman from Team Invest, good to see you, Howard. Pleasure, it's been great fun. Uh, it is always good fun. And remember, we can't do it without uh, our viewers there at home. So if you'd like to uh, raise any stocks for us to discuss, we'd love it if you would send it in. It's really easy to do. Jump on Twitter, uh, at AusBizTV is the handle, or you can alternatively send us an email. We do get a lot, okay? So we try our very best to be fair and balanced here. We also like a little bit of variety as well, but we do read each and every one and we do add them to a list. So uh, please, please send through your ideas. But that is it for me today. Thank you so much for your company and we'll see you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.